Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife, Mandy, and we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. We are in week six of our series seven, and we're looking at these seven dimensions of discipleship in our belief, looking at the Bible, is that if we are taking our next step in each of these seven dimensions or seven disciplines that we are growing, if we're doing that, we are growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we believe that discipleship is the answer to so many of the problems in the world today because discipleship is me becoming fully who God has designed and purposed me to be. And not only for me, but now I am pouring myself into others and they are experiencing the same level of discipleship. Um, our core verse for this series is Matthew 28, 19. And it comes from the Great Commission where Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and make converts. He didn't even say go and make believers. He said, go and make disciples growing disciples of Jesus Christ. What's the definition of a disciple? Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Committed to the mission of Jesus. I want to ask you something. If somebody came up to you and, and asked you this question, and this question will kind of set the tone for today, just think in your own mind, answer in your own mind. If they asked you, what is God getting out of your life? What is God getting out of your life? How would you respond to that? If it wasn't a rhetorical question, just with that conversation, how do you think you would respond to that? How, how do you think you would respond to what's God getting out of your week? If God did create you, if he did call you, if he has given you purpose, if, if, we're, if we're submitted to his will, it's a humbling question. What is God getting out of my life, my week, my day? And I want you to kind of hold on to that through the message today, because I think that we'll answer that. And I really want us to reflect on it. About a week and a half ago, we were starting our Flourish Women's Conference. How many ladies went to Flourish? Pretty awesome. And it started on Thursday night. So Thursday afternoon, we had some pastor friends in town, and I was just getting coffee with one of those couples. And I get a phone call from our operations person at the church. And she said, Dustin, I've got really bad news. And I hate those phone calls. You get those a lot as a pastor, by the way. But I hate those phone calls. And she said, well, we just got a call from the city. And there is a blockage in the sewer line out in the parking lot somewhere. And they have told us that we cannot use the restrooms in the entire complex. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, we cannot use the restroom. And I was like, oh, what? I was like, we have about 1,100 women coming in like two hours. What are we going to do? So I go into like freak out, you know, problem solving mode. We get everybody together and, and kind of we're trying to call plumbers and trying to pull every string we've got and finally get a hold of somebody to come, an emergency person. But it wasn't coming until after service. And so we're trying to so we, you know, finally found a company and we rented luxury portable restrooms for the back of our building back here. But those restrooms are better than no service. Am I right? Better than no conference. And so I was like, we're not calling them porta potties, but they weren't. They were actually pretty nice. They were luxury 
portable restroom. But that day, you know, when I got the call, I came back to the church and I go into the, I don't know anything about plumbing, nothing. So I just like walk into the bathrooms, like I'm going to solve something. So I walk in there and I'm looking, you know, at the toilets and I'm going, huh? Yeah. And I'm, I'm weighing, do we risk this? No, we're not going to risk this thing. That would, that would be real bad. And so I'm looking, but I was like, the water levels look fine. I mean, I don't know, you know, like I could flush it, but they said not to, but then the sin nature started rising up and I was like, you know, oh, I didn't, I didn't flush, but I'm looking at this and I'm going, all of the equipment is there. All of the equipment's there. All of the parts are there, but if they are not functioning according to their purpose, we have to put a sign up on the door that says out of order, out of service. If something isn't functioning according to its purpose, it cannot be used. And it is the exact same way with us. We have a purpose from God. We have a designed purpose by the designer, the creator for our lives. But if we aren't functioning according to our purpose, we cannot be used because we are out of service. So many people want to be used by God. So many people want fulfillment. So many people want that a purpose for their lives, but we bring our own agendas with purpose and we're not submitting our purpose to God and God saying, I want to use you. I want you to have fulfillment. You may have the right equipment. You may say the right things. You may go to church. You might look as Christian as they get. But if we're not functioning according to our purpose, we cannot be used by God. And I think we have to understand that today because the topic today is mission. And we all have a mission from God. It's a part of the discipleship process. We have to grow in mission because God has a mission for the world and a very specific function. And we've been reading a portion of it every single week in this series. And it comes from the Great Commission. Again, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the last thing Jesus left with the disciples. And we go, well, isn't that the job of like the disciples? Yes, you, me. It is the great commission for all of us to go into the world. That is the bottom line purpose. Fulfillment is tied to this. Joy is tied to this because it is what you were created to do. The mission statement for our church is tied to the Great Commission, and it's this. We partner with God in building the church among all people everywhere. The church, not as in buildings, but as in people. We partner with God in building what Jesus set out to build, the local church through the power of the Holy Spirit, among all people everywhere. And the best news possible is God sincerely wants to use you in a very mighty, powerful way. And, and as soon as I say that, many of us are automatically trying to disqualify ourselves because we think, I'm, well, I'm too new to this or I've made too many mistakes. No, no, no. 
If you are in Christ and you have called on the name of Jesus as savior, if your eternal home is heaven, you're a child of God, you are destined, you have purpose, you have a calling and he wants to use you, but he's waiting for your yes. He's waiting for your yes. He's waiting for us to say, I want to function according to my purpose so I can be used like I'm supposed to be used. So here's the question today, and we'll answer it in a few different ways. The question is this, how can we partner with God in his mission of discipleship? How can we partner with God? Number one is this, we need to remember the message. We need to remember the message. What's the message? Well, the message is the gospel, the the good news. And in order to be on mission for Jesus, we've got to know the good news of Jesus. We've got to know and make sure that we've recognized it ourselves and we've, we've responded to the gospel, but also we've got to know enough of it. So in casual conversation, as we're growing as disciples, we can articulate how to be saved, what the story of Jesus really is. And I, I've, I've got a pretty easy way for us to remember this. If you're newer to the journey or have never really taken this in. The message is the gospel, but what is the gospel? There's, there's four parts to this very, very, very quickly is this. The first part is the plan. Everybody say the plan. God's plan is this. God's plan from the beginning, it still is and it is forever. God's plan is to be in harmony with us. His plan is for us when he created us, for us to glorify him, to worship him. But in his love for us, he wants relationship with us and he wants harmony with us, right? That's the plan. But then also what we found, though, part of the gospel story is the problem. God has the plan, harmony, but then there's the problem of sin that was brought into the world all the way back to Adam and Eve. Sin is what has separated, what separates people from God because a holy God cannot be in union with a sinful person. So the plan is harmony. Sin came into the world to break that harmony and cause a chasm. But then the third part of the gospel message is the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. The solution is John chapter one, when John the Baptist was about to baptize Jesus, Jesus is coming over the hill, walking down to the the Jordan River. John the Baptist is about to baptize him, but he looks at Jesus and everybody there and he says, behold, the lamb of God, the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. That's what he says in John chapter one, right out of the gate in the gospels. So we have the plan. uh, The plan is harmony with God. The problem, sin came in and broke the harmony and separated us from God. But then Jesus, by God's love, God the Father sends his one and only son into the world to go to the cross as the perfect sacrifice to die for all of our sins so we don't have to. He died the death we deserve so we can live the life he deserved and for eternity. And all I have to do is call on his name. And now the problem of sin is removed because the lamb of God has stepped in and created the bridge. So you have the plan. The problem of sin breaks it. The solution of Jesus restores it, but only if the part four, the decision to call on his name. Just because Jesus came and died on the cross does not mean I'm saved. I am saved when I know he died on the cross for me and I call on his name as my Lord and Savior. When I repent of my sin and in faith 
call on his grace to overwhelm and overcome me. And so I can be a brand new creation. So I make the decision and respond to Jesus. And when I do, the Bible says that I am now called a child of God when I welcome him into my life. So you have the plan. Everybody say the plan, the problem, the solution, the decision. That's the gospel. And we don't have to go out and be preachers, but all of us are called to be ministers. And we need to start in our own homes and know enough about the gospel. We can't just come be fed on Sunday. We have to take up the utensils and begin to feed ourselves Monday through Saturday and understand enough of the gospel to be able to articulate it in conversation. Number two is this. How do we partner with God on his mission? Operate in his authority. Operate in his authority. I'm telling you, this message today can be the answer to your search for fulfillment, your search for purpose. I'm telling you, he's called you to something great, but we have to learn to operate in his authority and not our own. Jesus has authority. In Luke uh, chapter four, this is right after Jesus' baptism, like I was just talking about. I would call Jesus' baptism a pretty like mountaintop spiritual experience. Because he's being baptized, the sky opens up, the booming voice of God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit descends out of the sky in the form of a dove. Jesus comes out of the water. I mean, this is one of those moments where, I mean, everybody's mouths are hanging open. This is a mountaintop experience. Would you agree? Right after this is done, the Bible explicitly tells us this. That same spirit who descended and filled, descended on and filled Jesus drives him into the wilderness straight from the baptism to be tempted and tested for 40 days. Isn't that interesting? It makes me wonder how many times I am praying to God for him to get me out of something that he may have driven me into because I need to learn what it's like to depend on him. And I need more authority in my life to go through a season of dependence on him and understanding his authority. And that's what Jesus accomplished in the desert, in the wilderness. He lasts for 40 days of fasting, lasts through the temptation. And the Bible says he comes out of that season with authority. He goes to the Galilee area, to Capernaum. He begins preaching and doing miracles and casting out demons. And this is what the people say in verse 36 of Luke 4. The people were amazed and said to each other, what does this mean? With authority and power, he commands evil spirits and they come out. They had seen people come to town claiming they could do that, but they had never seen a man walk into town and command evil to mend broken bodies, broken hearts, broken dreams. Only God can do that. And Jesus walked with authority. After the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous best sermon in history. After that sermon, in verse 28 of Matthew 7, it says this, when Jesus finished saying these things, all the, the people were amazed. The people keep being amazed. They were amazed at his teaching because he did not teach like their teachers of the law. He taught like one who had what? Authority. Now, it says he taught like one who had. He just, he just didn't teach like one who had. He had. And he's teaching something new. He's, it says that, he didn't teach like their teachers. Well, how did their teachers teach? Their teachers taught, those Jewish rabbis and Pharisees taught by referencing other rabbis and other teachers. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount steps up referencing nobody because out of his mouth is the word of God. Out of his mouth is truth. He doesn't have to reference someone else's truth. He is the word. He was there at the beginning. He was speaking the word then, and he is the word forever. And he's standing there as one with authority because he is the final authority on everything. He's at, he has authority. He's walking in authority. He's speaking authority. And then in John chapter 14, he's meeting with his disciples and he's pointing to a future. They don't understand it yet, but he's pointing to a future where there would be this transfer of authority to them. He says in John 14, 12 through 13, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me will do the same things that I do. That's pretty wild. Those who believe will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father. And if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it for you so that the father's glory be shown through the son. He was saying, you're going to do these things I've been doing and greater things. He says, because I'm going to the father, and we'll talk about that in a second. But then he says, in accordance to my name, the disciples that day began to understand that what they would do in the future had nothing to do with their name. It was never going to be in the name of Paul, Peter, John. It was always going to be because they were given jurisdiction, given authority, dominion over the world because Jesus has authority. And he says, there will be a day you can do what I do because I'm giving you the authority to do it. Matthew 28, again, the great commission. Here comes the transfer of authority. So he is, he has authority, but how do we operate in it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, again, then Jesus came to them and said, all what authority has been given to me? All the other references to Jesus' authority in the New Testament and the gospels up until this point were other people talking about Jesus' authority. The great commission is when he explicitly tells them what they've been saying is true, but I'm upping the ante. I don't just have authority. I have all of it. I have all authority. And he's about to ascend back to heaven. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's saying, all authority has been given to me. And what I'm commissioning you to do, you're going to need all of my authority because you can't do this in the flesh. You can't do this in the physical because you're not going into a physical fight. You're not going into a physical world. You're going into a world that is on lockdown by the dominion of the enemy principalities. You're going into a world where your name isn't going to mean much, but my name in you is going to shake nations, is going to shake cities and families. It's all about the name of Jesus and his authority in our lives. When we pray in the name of Jesus at the end of prayers, when we pray that, it's way more powerful than just the conclusion to a proper prayer. Because whatever we pray, when you say in the name of Jesus, you're claiming the authority that he's given you. What you're saying is everything I just prayed, so be it, not in my name, in Jesus name. So be it in the name of Jesus. I'm claiming the authority of Jesus. This isn't about summoning Jesus. This isn't, this isn't about controlling Jesus. This is about operating in the authority that he has given us through the great commission of go and make disciples and I will be with you. 
How is he going to be with us? Because when he told the disciples this, he's about to ascend. And they're like, Jesus, this is not the best timing for you to tell us that you have all authority as you're leaving us. Like you could, could you have said this a few months earlier? Like, what are we supposed to do with it? And then he says, I will be with you. And we accept this as, because we, some of us know how this story ends, but those disciples that day, he's about to ascend and says, I'm going to be with you. And they're like, how you're leaving us. They weren't just, this wasn't common sense to them. They weren't standing around on the hillside, like all of the paintings, like going, oh, that was not what they were doing. They were probably looking around going, I have no earthly idea what's happening right now. He just said he's going to be with us, but he's leaving us. And then we move to the third point. How do we partner with God in his mission? We receive his power. How would he be with us? Not only do we have Jesus authority, but we have his power through his spirit. That's how Jesus is with us. The plan of God all along was that the body of Christ would never leave the earth ever. And you might be thinking, well, you just said Jesus, the physical body of Jesus ascended to heaven, right? He, he ascended. So how, how, is, how was the plan for the body of Christ to always be here? What Jesus was trying to tell the disciples for all three years of ministry, what he was trying to tell them, and then what he explicitly tells them, and what I'm about to read you in Acts 1 is, I'm sending the Spirit. It's not a random Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we think about the Trinity, I've said this before when I teach on the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes we look at the Holy Spirit like the weird uncle of the Trinity. It's like, you know, the, you know that weird uncle that you don't want to invite to Thanksgiving because you don't know what he's going to do when he shows up and you're like, he can make things really weird. A lot of people view the Holy Spirit like that. We don't really want him in church because he could, this thing could get out of hand real quick, you know? And, but that's not, the Holy, the Holy Spirit isn't a weird part of the Trinity. The Trinity means this. There's one God in three expressions. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. If you're not intimidated by Jesus, then you can't be intimidated by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is how Jesus never left the earth because his body was ascending, but his spirit was descending into people that would be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus was in one place at one time in his earthly ministry, now he can be in billions of places all over the earth through us and his spirit residing in us when we are filled in his power. I think you guys can clap to that. There's a perfect image of this, I think, in the Old Testament that points to this and foreshadows it. It's the story of, of Moses and the Israelites in, in Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites had already been wandering in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They, they've gone through the Red Sea. They're, they're, they're grumbling. They're complaining. The, the manna has already fallen from the sky. The, the God has already given them quail. They're, they're complaining again, and Moses is over it. Have, have your kids ever complained so much? You're just like, I'm over it. Have, have people at work ever complained so much? You're just like, I'm done. I'm out. You write your resignation. They're like, no, I guess I'll go back the next day. You know, you're, you're, you're just done. And Moses, his leader, I mean, he was a leader, a great leader, but he's over it. This group had grown to millions of people. He was one man. He's exhausted. He's saying, God, I'm done with these people. And God devises a plan. And this is what it says. Moses went out and told the people what the Lord said. He gathered 70 of the leaders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. He took some of the spirit, get this, he took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 leaders. When the spirit came to rest on them, 
they prophesied. This is Old Testament. And I just want to say, I'm not going to go on this tangent, but this is an amazing leadership lesson as well. Because Moses was one bad man if he could handle the weight of 70 leaders inside of him, that mantle was heavy. If God says, Moses, I'm going to help you and divide what's in you, and he puts us on 70 people, that's a lot. But the picture of what happens in this story is the same picture of what happens with Jesus when he ascends and sends the Holy Spirit. God comes down and takes the spirit from Moses and gives it to 70 leaders who now have the authority and the same spirit that was in Moses to walk out the purpose of leadership amongst the people. It used to be one person. Now it's 70 people carrying the same spirit going out into the people and leading. And it's the same thing with Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus ascends and he gives us his spirit and he places his spirit in us so we can all be leaders that are spirit-filled, going into our schools, going into our workplaces and our homes, operating in the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, because we have the spirit of Jesus residing on the inside of us. We will not fulfill the mission of God in our lives, the purpose of God in our lives, until we acknowledge the desperate need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys believe that today? We've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually tells us it's a good thing that he's going away because he told the disciples when he goes away that we're going to be comforted by his spirit. And in Acts chapter one, literally, so Matthew ends, the gospel's in Acts chapter one, he is ascending and he tells them, don't leave Jerusalem until the spirit comes. Do not leave. Then in Acts one eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, don't leave Jerusalem because he's talking to the future church. There's 500 people, 120 go to the upper room, but he's saying, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes because you can't accomplish what I want you to accomplish without it. So don't leave. I, I think it's interesting that before Jesus sent the church into the world, he knew he had to send the spirit into the church, but there are too many churches that don't want the spirit and they're trying to impact the world but the world is impacting them because we weren't meant to do this in the flesh. We were meant to do this in the spirit. And he says, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Vance Havner said this. I love this quote. Satan has succeeded in making us so afraid of extremism about the Holy Spirit, which abounds indeed, that we may miss the true in our fear of the false. We can be so wary of getting out on a limb that we never go up the tree. Whatever your background is with the Holy Spirit, if you've been burnt in certain extreme backgrounds and stuff with the Holy Spirit, what I'm telling you today is that the true biblical Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, who desires not to do anything unbiblical, but to empower you to be exactly who God has called you to be in a supernatural way. We are facing supernatural enemies out there, and you will not win unless you have something supernatural on the inside of you, and it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this too, just because something is uncomfortable to us does not mean it's unbiblical for us. Too many times Christians say, they'll come to a church service and they'll say, that was a little uncomfortable for me when the Holy Spirit started moving. That must be unbiblical. No, it's actually, it could be very biblical, but just make us uncomfortable, which is good because the essence of Christianity is getting out, getting us out of our comfort zone. 
the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We have to remember this, that Jesus did not give us the Holy Spirit for our entertainment, for our performance, or just so that we could be, we could say we were filled with the Holy Spirit. We had Alpha Weekend here at the church, which is the Holy Spirit Weekend. It was amazing, part of the Alpha process. You know, it, I, it's interesting. It's amazing seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit, understanding what their purpose is, but too many places and too many times we think the Holy Spirit is just for the sake of an encounter. But the Holy Spirit is not for the sake of an encounter. It's for the sake of purpose, mission, and function. The Holy Spirit, the empowerment is for your function as a believer. I'll prove this to you with what Jesus says about himself in Luke 4, 16 through 20. And he came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he was brought up and was, and was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because I think that's super interesting because we have to remember the spirit of the Lord is never just upon you. The spirit of the Lord is always upon us because for a cause. And Jesus is saying, if it's true for me, it's going to be true for you. And Jesus continues in this passage, telling us what his mission is. And his mission is ours with the great commission and impacting people around us. But he's saying the purpose of the spirit is for the cause. So let me go back to that first question I asked you before I finish today with the last point. If someone were to ask you, what is God getting out of your life? How would you answer that? Do you have a cause? Do you have a cause in your life? I think it's important for us to understand that your calling in life is not your career. God didn't call you to be a doctor. He didn't call you to be a teacher. He didn't call you to do that career. He calls you to be a minister of the gospel and your career is your assignment and mission field. Because when we think God calls me to be a doctor, we think the function of doctor is the end. But the function of doctor is for a purpose, to glorify God, to live a life that impacts people around us. The same thing with a teacher. I know we're limited on what we can say in the world and where we go, but your career is for a purpose. It is not the purpose. My career is not the purpose as pastor. It's for a purpose in my everyday life. Number four is this. We need to prioritize his plan. How do we partner with God? Lastly, we need to prioritize his plan. Acts 1.8 again says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know what Jesus is saying is when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not you might be, it's not, I want you to, it's you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness. Your life will bear witness. Your words will bear witness. I, I, I was in middle school one time and, and our, our youth pastor asked us to, to go on a door-to-door evangelism thing. And, and this is fine. It's not bad to do this, but sometimes people think witnessing is limited to this. And we were going door-to-door and I was like scared out of my mind. I was, you know, I would be scared out of my mind today. I kept on going to my youth pastor going, uh, pastor, um, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, what are we doing right now? Do we have to go to, do we have to go door to door? This is really embarrassing. Uh, you know, all that stuff. But sometimes we are intimidated by witness because we associate it with maybe with Jehovah's Witness or people going to doors. But witness is not that. Witness is your life is going to bear witness. 
Your words are gonna bear witness in your everyday life. Wherever you go and whatever you do, Jesus' spirit is in you. And if his spirit is in us, we are Jesus wherever we go. That's how he can be everywhere in us through his spirit as we are fulfilling his mission in life everywhere we go. Our lives will bear witness. And we sang that song earlier, I've witnessed it. Let me tell you, I have witnessed the greatness of God in my life. I have witnessed him bringing me through valley seasons. I have witnessed him in my family. I have witnessed him with people with with cancer being cured. I have witnessed people stand up out of a wheelchair. I have witnessed these things in my life. And what it means to bear bear witness is I can't stay quiet about that. I've got to bear witness on what I've witnessed. And then Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, gives us his strategic plan. We have to prioritize this plan. He says, I want you to witness, to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus says to his disciples then and to all of us. So do we all go move to the middle of Middle East? No, especially not right now. But unless God's calling you, but we all have a Jerusalem. We all have a Judea. We all have a Samaria and we all have the same to the ends of the earth. And I want to lay out this strategic plan in context and application and closing and what it means for us. What is Jerusalem for us? Jerusalem is this. I want you to think about Jerusalem. It's here, wherever I am. So we can say Jerusalem is here, right? So here is your home, your church, your family, your friends. So think about your home. That's your Jerusalem. Start there. What do your kids know about God? Are you prioritizing God? How are you discipling your children? Think about your family. Your, your church, you're like, wait, what church? This is, the, we, this is a mission field too? Yeah, there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of people that don't know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Just look at the person next to you. I'm, jo- I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But let me tell you something. In all, in all seriousness though, I've got really good friends that are coming to this church right now, coming to our church that are not explicitly Christ followers. They're searching, they've got doubts. They're trying to figure this thing out and they would love to have someone invest in them, disciple them, And they would love to be someone's Jerusalem, not as a project, but as someone who is loved and invested in. We need people to prioritize Jerusalem. The next is Judea. What's Judea? So if Jerusalem is here, our Judea is there. What does there mean? It's people who are culturally similar and geographically near. What you're going to find is he covers the whole spectrum. But Judea is there, culturally similar and geographically near. What, what's, what's our Judea? These are people on the sidelines of your kids' sporting events that you see every single Saturday, every single week at the games or at practices. God's placed you in their lives. What, what's our Judea? Judea are your coworkers, <clears throat> classmates, teammates. They're culturally near. They're a part of the culture around you, everyday life. They're geographically near, but they're not necessarily your here. They're not your inner circle, but they are your there. You following me? So there's Jerusalem, Judea. Then there's Samaria. When Jesus said Samaria to his Jewish audience, they were like, ah, can't we leave them out? They were kind of at odds and they're so different than us. And and, and they believe differently than us. Samaria are the people we kind of go, they're the ones over there. Samaria are people who are culturally different, but geographically near. Samaria, people in this category for us are people who might be near us, but they're politically different. And we view them as evil, no matter what side you're on, the other side's 
evil according to the box people are putting us in today. So it's, I don't really, I mean, but they're a Democrat or they're a Republican. Uh, can a Republican reach them or can a Democrat reach them? They're, they're near geographically, but they're far culturally. This could be somebody of a different ethnicity, maybe a language barrier. This could be somebody who has a different skin color than you. This could be anything where someone's different than you, even religiously different, but they're close to you in proximity. The, the best way I can tell you who your Samaria is, is if you're thinking about them, your prayer turns from, should I reach them to God, can you send someone to reach that person? That's your Samaria. So he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then he says, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth is everywhere. Jesus was conclusive about this. He covered all of his bases. Everywhere is culturally different and geographically far. We're all called to reach everyone. We may not be able to financially go all over the world to reach everyone. We may not even be financially able to sponsor other people to. But you want to know one thing that every single person can do is pray for everyone everywhere. Pray for countries that some people would call enemies. Pray for nations who desperately need missionaries. And oftentimes the nations that need us the most are the ones we pray for the least because we've classified them as enemy. But Jesus says, go to Samaria and go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth, the church world, we call that global missions, world missions. And it's such an important part of what we do. But mission, being on mission, is just simply saying, everywhere I am, Jesus, use me. And I'm going to open up my eyes with awareness of how you want to use me everywhere I am. That's how we grow as disciples when it comes to missions. So let me ask you this. What could be on the other side of your yes if you said yes to God today and just going all in on mission? In your every, what could be on the other side of that yes? I want to end with telling you this story. Um, in 2010, our, as a church, I was not the senior pastor. Then I was the youth pastor. My dad was the senior pastor. And we were building this building. And we were at a much smaller facility. The church had gone to five services and, and for years. And we were raising money to build this building. And it was stretching us financially. It was, it was a faith step. But our board of elders back then, and I was going to these meetings, and my, and my dad, we were praying about what to do in this next step. And we, we really felt collectively that God was saying, I'm going to support what you're building here. But at the same exact time, I want you to build there. And so we, we redirected our whole missions campaign and chose two uh, people groups in the world that were classified as unreached, which is, which is less than 1% Christian in those areas. And we really felt like God said, if you build there, I'll build here but I want you to be focused on everywhere and not just here. And so we began to build in both places and it wouldn't make sense logically, but things just began to flourish and blessing. The first time we went to the, the two places were the Digo people in Kenya and the Tato Amada people in uh, Chihuahua City, Mexico. The first time we went to Chihuahua to uh, meet up with people to learn more about the culture of the Tato Amada, we met up with a missionary who had once invested into this people group and they, they said missionaries have come and people have come and gone but this is an unreached people group for a reason. You're, you're wasting your time by coming here. And the moment he said that, I was like, ooh, now we know for sure we're supposed to be here, you know, kind of thing. 
And so um, we ended up saying yes. And there was a, another organization at the same time called Light Shine. That was, uh, the leaders were coming down uh, from the States, Chris and Heather Nickerson, to start this amazing organization uh, investing in children. And it's expanded beyond that. But after school program, education, food, church, no building, no nothing, just a face step for them to go. We collided at the same time. And we decided to partner with them. This unreached people group of people said couldn't be reached. And I hadn't, I'd gone the, for the first couple of years several times, but I hadn't been back. We became senior pastors in the pandemic and there's so much going on. And so I decided this year I'm going. And I went in August, but the timing was crazy because the week before that, the eight days before that, we were in, in Maui the week right after the fires hit Lahaina. And, and it was a heavy, heavy week working with our church family there and people realizing they lost their homes. And it was a heavy week. I had been gone for already for a lot of August and I came back, wasn't anticipating going on that Maui trip. I'd only been in town for seven days in the entire month. I landed and I was supposed to go back to fly out to Chihuahua City um, in less than 48 hours. And I was at the house and I, and I looked at Mandy and I said, I know this sounds bad, but... I'm try can I get out of this? I just, I'm exhausted. I haven't, I don't feel like I've seen the kids. Like, I'm just, I don't know. And, and I just felt, and as I was asking the question, you ever just know as you're trying to get out of something, you at the same time you hear God say, close your mouth, you know? <laughs> I knew I was supposed to go. I got on the plane and flew out there. And that first night I was, I was sitting on a curb after working at, you know, doing stuff during the day. And I was so tired. And I looked up at the sky and I was like, God, I, I don't know what planet I'm on right now. Where am I? What are you doing? Why did you want me here? And I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, just confirm in my heart, I want you to see what happens on the other side of a yes when I tell you to do something. At this time, hundreds, if not thousands of Tatamatas have been saved. We have given hundreds of thousands of dollars to Lightshine and invested in the Tatamata people to date. We've built a church, which also um, doubles as a school. There's a thriving Tatamata church there now. I mean, we were investing in the community. People are delivered. Over 90% of the men in the community um, were alcoholic and people are being delivered and it's all kinds of stuff happening, right? The last day we were there, we sat in a group and we were in a circle and um, they said, hey, we want to come and we have a surprise. We had no idea what we were walking into. And they had this big circle after we sang some worship songs and people just started sharing their testimonies. And at the end of each testimony, they would say, we're going to be in heaven because your church said yes. We're going to be rejoicing together because your leaders said yes. Those of you on the missions teams said yes. The people who have been sponsored children at Lightshine because they said yes, we're going to be in heaven. One of the families, a couple got around to them and they started telling their story. And it was, um, the, the man was an alcoholic and abusive and um, his wife, they were both not saved, but their daughter, the young daughter named Marisol started going to light shine when she was four years old. One of you, I believe, sponsored her. And so she starts going up through light shine before and after school. And it was just an amazing thing hearing these stories, but she would go home and sing worship songs to her parents. And they're like, I don't want that in here. What are you doing? Stop singing that. And, but they were also kind of intrigued that she was singing and she was pretty good at it. She, she became like, a, a, as, as a child, one of the worship leaders for the children at light shine and kept singing and kept singing and going home. And finally, her mom, when she was sharing Christ and sharing the gospel with her parents as a little kid, like the gospel, finally, her mom says, okay, I'll come with you, but just to watch you sing. And in that church service, her mom, tears streaming down her face, gave her heart to Jesus in that, in that church service. She comes home and then the dad is looking at him like, you too? You know, 
I didn't think you were going to do this. And then he got mad and then he's coming and standing in the doorway at the church. And they said that he would just kind of pace back and forth in the doorway and kind of look in there and just checking things out and just kind of frustrated at what was going on. And, but then they, but they loved that their daughter was being taken care of with light shine and the food and all that. So, but they just, he just, all of a sudden one day he sees his daughter singing, hears her tears streaming down his face. That night he gave his life to Jesus was immediately delivered of alcoholism. Immediately. Their, their family was transformed. This is Mari's soul. She's now married to Sammy, who is the son of the pastor of the Tadamata church that's established there. She's the worship leader at the church. And her dad, this man, became the governor of the Tadamata. He is attending our church, one of the leaders in our church. And at this ceremony, he's, he told us that part of what, what their, their ceremony and culture is they'll make a garment and they'll give it to someone as an invitation into their culture. And he stood up and he said, we made this for you, pastor. And he said, I want you to look around the circle. He said, everyone in this circle will be joining you in heaven. And he said, thank you for your yes. And I stood there that day thinking five days earlier when I was stressed and not wanting to go on the trip, thinking there's nowhere in the entire world I would rather be looking at people who will be our family in heaven forever because a group of people 13 years ago said, that's the mission. I say yes. So today, yeah, I want to challenge you to take your next step. What is your next step when it comes to mission? Every week we're doing this. Some of you, your next step could be believing the gospel. Do you believe it? Because you can't carry it unless you believe it. Some of you, it needs to be learning a little bit more of the details of the gospel. Some of you could say, yeah, I, I've, I've been saved by the good news of Jesus, but I could learn a little bit more of it so I can, in conversation as things come up, kind of be able to hold my own a little bit in conversation to explain to people who Jesus is and maybe even lead someone to Christ. Another, some of you, your next step could be identifying what your Jerusalem is what your Judea is, Samaria. Maybe it's getting your family together tonight and kind of reviewing the sermon. All of our kids are learning about mission today. All of our teenagers are learning about mission on Tuesday night. Get your family together and say, what's our Jerusalem? Let's get a plan. What's our Judea? What's our Samaria? What is our end of the earth? What missions trips do we need to get on, which leads me to the next possible next step. It could be joining in with our church and as we are fulfilling the Great Commission locally and globally. What we're doing today is we're also introducing some dates and times in 2024 when we're going to be going on some missions trips, um, specifically to these two locations that we started 13 years ago to Kenya and Mexico. We have some um, a general adult missions trips uh, that are going to be going Mexico in August and September of 2024. Um, there's an interest meeting that will be uh, coming up there. And then also Kenya in October of 2024. Those are the interest meetings but you can always contact us on the website and get all the information ahead of time now to start planning on it, citizen.church slash missions. What I'm most excited for today though is the first time in the history of our church, we are taking an entire year and we are introducing missions trips for the entire next generation age groups in our church in 2024. So our young adults are going to Mexico in 2024 in March. Our youth, our teenagers are going in June. And we're taking our first ever 
kids ministry missions trip to Pruitt, New Mexico, to one of our network churches, uh, a great friend of ours, pastors in Pruitt, New Mexico on the reservation. And our kids are gonna go on a day trip as a part of our serve day. Uh, parents can go and all that stuff, but our kids are gonna go do some work around the, the building, minister and hang out to some of the kids in the congregation and in the community because we want mission. Yes, we can clap. We want mission to get into every generation in our church. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the message today. We truly hope it was impactful. Right now, wherever you are, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit leading you to receive Christ today, we wanna take the time to pray with you right now. Yes, so wherever you are, whether in your home, in your car, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Lord, I choose right now to give my heart and my life to you. Every single day, Lord, is yours from now on. I surrender to you. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, your next steps are on the screen right now. Please take the time, get connected with us, and take those critical next steps. We hope to see you back next week.